All right, we're in the book of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some over there you can use. Starting into Matthew chapter 23. Um, and actually, I had asked Raul if he could read our passage this morning. Let's get your microphone. All right, Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do, not, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fingers long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on, or on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors for you have one instructor, the Christ, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, God. We, uh, we pray for clarity, we pray for direction, and uh, we give you all the honor and all the glory. We love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. Who's he speaking to? Crowds and the disciples. Well, we actually get some clarity even more in the book of Matthew. He's primarily speaking to his disciples here in the hearing of the crowds, to the benefit of the crowds to hear it, but he is instructing his disciples. Um, we are in the Passion Week, which means this, this is the week before Jesus goes to the cross. This, here's some final instruction to his disciples um, in a very public setting. Organize my notes here. Verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, sit on Moses' seat, so do. And observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Here's two sayings right here. Um, do as I say, not as I do, right? This, that's what Jesus is telling them. Do what they say, but not what they do. Don't follow their example, but do the things, everything that they're telling you to do. Why? Because they don't practice what they preach. Another saying that we use, right? And that's what's going on here. And Jesus is instructing his disciples concerning the Pharisees. The Pharisees have been very present. The scribes and Pharisees have been testing Jesus. Um, I don't know if the scribes and Pharisees are in hearing. Um, they've been around, certainly, during all of this. Um, but certainly the crowds are hearing this as well. Um, and then verse 4, what do the scribes and Pharisees do? They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, 
and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. See, the, the scribes and Pharisees, they were teachers of the law, of, of, of the Old Testament that we have here in our Bible. But they added to that all of their traditions. They had guarded the law with a whole bunch of extra rules and traditions and burdens that they placed on the people. Here's what you have to do, right? Uh, and and um, we run into that some. Like the book of Matthew is written to Jews, and they just they avoid even using the word God. Uh, they'll say the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of God. That just comes from a background of just super care to follow the law. Like, I don't want to take the Lord's name in vain, so I won't say it. I won't write it at all, right? Um, and, and a lot of the traditions were built like that and, and extended further and further, just these burdens. But notice, they, they, they somehow exempt themselves from a lot of what they place the burden on the people. When Jesus said... Come to me, all who are heavy laden. And he told them, my burden is easy um, and light. This is what was in view there, right? It, they were under the burden of the traditions of religious teachers, not just the law, but, but all of the traditions added to that. And this is what Jesus is calling out. They, they pile up burdens on people hard to bear, and they, they won't move a finger themselves. Um, verse 5, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Right? They, it, it's, it's all for show. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. What's that about? Um, uh, here's a picture uh, that my professor used in our New Testament class. You can kind of see it in the lighting. The guy on the left there, he's got a little box on his head. And if you can see, he's got straps around his arm and he has something strapped to his arm. Uh, those are the phylacteries. They do that today. At the, they go to the wailing wall to pray. Um, Deuteronomy 6 has the Shema. The hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. with all. It goes through all that and it says, now bind these things on your hand. It should be as frontlets between your eyes. And, and they take that ultra literally. Well, I made a little box between my, between my eyes and I'm going to have a written copy of the Shema in there. And then I'm going to have a, a little box on my wrist. And I, right? And, and in order to show how religious they were, they would make a bigger box, right? You got a big old box hanging off the front of your head. Dude, nice phylacteries, right? It seems silly to us, but that's kind of how silly we are sometimes when we're trying to impress people with our religious, pious actions. Look at how spiritual I am when I'm doing it for the purpose of other people seeing it. Unfortunately, a large part of their problem was they weren't actually following what was in that law. Why, what, what was the real meaning? He, God wasn't saying literally, put a box on your head. He was saying, let, let the thoughts of your mind, everything that, that you think about and focus on, be worship of God, be love 
of God. Let everything that you do, it's written on your hands, everything that you do with your hands should should all be worshipped to God. And, and the, it didn't make it from the phylacteries into the person that was there to actually, by their actions, by their heart, love God. But they made their phylacteries broad and, and their fringes long. So the, the guy on the right there is wearing a prayer shawl, um, and the prayer shawls would have these fringes on them. Jesus had fringes, right? It's it's, it's not a bad thing to have fringes, but, but what they'd do is when they would pray, they'd have these little knots on the fringes, and they would just kind of feel, and as you got to each knot, you'd remember to pray for something else, right? And so, well, I'm super, super spiritual, so I want people to see I've got these big fringes, right? And, and boy, I must be a real prayer warrior. Had nothing to do with a heart of prayer. Remember when Jesus was talking about prayer? He said, go do it in private. So the one who sees in private will hear you, reward you. No, they, they did it for show. And so here's Jesus is calling them out as, as doing all of this just to be seen. Your phylacteries and your fringes. As my professor would say, my, what large phylacteries you have. <laughs> it's just hilarious. But we're hilarious when we do things in our own culture that are the same. Um, verse 6, And they loved the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. Now, they're the religious leaders. They love the treatment. They love the accolades from people. Um, verse 7, and, and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi. Rabbi, yeah, literally, kind of has. I think there's a sense of Lord in that. It's it's that position. You did, Jesus was rabbi. They're following this teacher. Um, when Jesus said, "My yoke," he's talking about the yoke of a rabbi. You are a follower of Jesus when you take his yoke upon you. And that's what they would do. They would have a yoke. It's, they were following the teaching of a rabbi. And they thought, "All right, these are my disciples. They are following me." Yeah, that's, that's proper for Jesus. That's proper for God. But they just loved. And actually, that was part of how they would work. They would have teachers, but they loved it. They loved to be followed. They loved the people were calling them rabbi. They were conceited. They did everything to be noticed. They're piling unnecessary burdens upon people not willing to lift their own finger. Here's the shocking element. And whenever there's a shocking element in the Scripture, we should pay attention to it. What did Jesus say back there at the beginning? In verse 3, this is in the imperative. This is a command. So do and observe whatever they tell you. Wait, Jesus, you're just telling me that they're, they're, they're piling on a whole bunch of stuff that's not even in your life. But Jesus is saying, do and observe. Those are two things, two separate kinds. Do is to, is to take action. Observe is to, to conform your life to continue to do those things, right? Jesus, what are you talking about here? Do and observe whatever. The, the Greek there could, could also be translated each and everything that they tell you to do. Why? Now, now, commentators, I, th I think, with good intent and rightly, are, are quick to, to clarify, no, you know, we're not under the law anymore, right? Uh, 
We don't have to follow the law anymore. Um, and, and really, it's, it's in as much as, as it would be following Jesus. And those are good things. Jesus doesn't find a need to clarify. He could have, he could have clarified a limit here. And, and, and we would do, are too quick to clarify. We can lose the intent, of, I think, of what he's trying to instruct his disciples in. Is this just a, a pre-cross instruction? He's about to go to the cross. It is right there. He's instructing his disciples about what's to happen. In about two months from this point, Jesus will have died and risen, have gone to be with the Father. The Holy Spirit would have come, and, and there's going to be thousands of people coming to the Lord there in Jerusalem. This is about to happen, and he's instructing them, do and observe whatever they tell you. There is a limit to that. I think that limit is going to come naturally as we understand we are, or why they are to follow that. And that's back in verse 2. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Now, what does that mean? Uh, they actually had something they would call Moses' seat. Here's a picture. Um, Back then, within the synagogues, you got the picture? Yeah, here's a, this is actually a replica of one that they uncovered in synagogue um, in that area. And, and what the, they called it Moses' seat because that's where uh, scribes or whoever was teaching the law within the synagogue would sit there, right? Because they're teaching the law of Moses. And they, they would also be interpreting the law and... and, and Keep in mind, that law was just as much civil law as anything else. It's a seat of authority. And that kind of is why they would see that as, okay, here's Moses' seat. You go back to the Old Testament, um, really go back to the time when Moses' father-in-law showed up. What was Moses doing? All day long, sitting on a seat to judge. Here's what's right. Here's what's wrong, right? That's Moses' seat. He was, and, and his father-in-law was going, don't you have anybody to help you, Right? And had some good advice for Moses. But that's Moses' seat. It's a, it, it involves the teaching of Moses. But more importantly, it's the authority. Right? It's a position. And it's a position that God has ordained. It is because they sit on that seat that you should do whatever they tell you. And observe it. Not because of their character. Not because of the integrity of their, their instruction, but because of the seat that they sit on. Jesus is getting his, and he's getting his disciples ready. In church, the topics we're going to hit in here are not the easy ones. Um, it's okay if you are growing as a Christian to understand and be able to even take some of these things in. Right? But these, his disciples are not new disciples anymore. They're about to go out. They're about to be sent. And you know what's going to happen in the next few months? These scribes and Pharisees are going to be seeking to persecute, seeking to arrest and kill the disciples and anyone who has anything to do with Jesus. And what is Jesus telling them? Do and observe each and everything that they tell you. 
What is the limit? Uh, we, we see it in the example. Acts gives us the account of what happened after Jesus died and rose again, right? And, and if we look in Acts chapter 4, I didn't put bookmarks, so now you get to see me do Bible drill. Acts chapter 4 and verse 18. Uh, they had arrested Peter and John, right? And um, they're figuring out what to do with them. And, and at this point, uh, they, they've got them and they, they had arrested them, so they called them and charged them, what? Not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Do you think they had reached a point where they were no longer supposed to do and observe what the scribes and Pharisees were telling them. Yes, why? Because it became a choice between them and God, and that's what we see. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. If that becomes the choice, that's the limit. Right? Right? Verse 20, for we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. That should be you. That should be me, our testimony. I can't help but just say, here's what's real. Here's what Jesus has done in my life. And, and if that's going to go against what the authorities, what the government, we, we, there's places in the world and there's nothing guaranteeing it won't be that way here someday when it would be illegal to share your faith. And, and I can't help but speak and say what Jesus has done in my life. I'm, not, I'm never going to stop. Even if that turns into being arrested and that's what they were doing here. So that's the limit, Right? It's, it's not just all those things that are right, not just all of those things um, that accord perfectly with what Jesus taught. It's because of the seat of authority. It's the position of authority that they're in. And we need to give honor and respect, not necessarily to the person, but to the position. Is that only for scribes and Pharisees? Is that only for the 12 disciples? Here's the application for us, and this is something that really practically is a difficult thing to grow into, church. I'm still growing in it. Here's the first point in the notes. Don't miss the perfect behind the corrupt. Don't miss the perfect behind the corrupt. The perfect God who has appointed authorities. A perfect God who tells us to respect and honor authorities because He has appointed them. Just as He at the same time is saying these Pharisees have no integrity. These Pharisees have no sense of justice. These Pharisees are all for show. Do 
and observe whatever they tell you. Um, We see this in Paul. Uh, Towards the end of Acts, uh, Paul has been arrested. He is being taken before a Roman tribunal. Um, The Roman tribunal brings in the Jewish council because they're trying to figure out what did Paul do? It doesn't seem like he did anything. I don't understand. Um, And as, you know, they bring in the Jewish council includes the high priests. Paul doesn't realize it's the high priest. Look what happens. uh, Acts 23, um, starting verse 2, the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by Paul to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. I mean, that's Paul. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? He speaks truth. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priests? Is in a position appointed by God as high priest. What does Paul say? I didn't know, brothers. Complete switch of tone in Paul. I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Why? Because a ruler of your people is appointed by God. It's not the person. It's the position that we honor because there's a God who stands behind it. If I was to take cutouts, well, I got plenty on my list uh, of people who are Leaders, either within the United States or within the world, that of themselves are not deserving of honor. And I just put cutouts here. Who, who would yours be, right? There isn't anything within us that wants to give them honor. But do we see? that behind them, behind not the person but the position, is a God who has appointed their authority. And he tells us to honor and respect the position. That's what he's telling his disciples concerning these Pharisees that are about to persecute them. Do what they tell you. Oh, how hard that is. Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, all, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority, no authority. We're, 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 we're beyond just the Pharisees. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist, that's all of them. That's for kids, your parents is an authority, right? Uh, at, at work, a boss is an authority. And in the scripture, it's dealing with, in that culture, they had slaves and masters. That master is an authority, right? Those that exist have been instituted by God. In verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists, this is scary. Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. I'm resisting God. And those who resist will incur judgment. 
The only way that I can please God in resisting an authority is if I am submitting to God in doing that, right? I'm, I'm, I'm submitting to the greater authority, and that's what we saw the disciples doing as they continued to speak Christ. Um, Skip down to verse 7. Still in the context of talking about these authorities, all authorities, pay to all. To how many? To all. What is owed to them? Whatever is owed to them. Jesus paid his taxes. The Father provided it in the mouth of a fish, but Jesus paid his taxes, and he'll provide you what you need in order to obey his commandment, to observe and do whatever they tell you. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Notice it's not saying to who it is deserved. And, and it's not owed because of their integrity or who they are. It's owed because God's appointment. We are to honor God. And this is a difficult thing when you finally get down to it practically. And how many of them are owed respect and honor? Well, if the appointment is by God, then all of them deserve respect and honor, not because of their integrity or their person or their personal righteousness, but because of the position that God has appointed. Church, we have a problem. I have a problem in this culture. It is way too easy to fall apart from respect and honor. Where, where is there the most conversation happening in the world today? It's different than it was in Jesus' time. Where is, it, where is the most expression happening? It's online. We don't talk to our neighbors anymore, hardly. Right? It happens at work. It happens in these different stories. But the most of the dialogue happening in the world, it, it's crazy. How, I can tell you how many billions of messages. In it. Tell me, in your estimation, how much of what is spoken through that medium has any amount of respect or honor in its target? And we're all part of it. The church, we church, should stand out. We should be different in the way that God has commanded us to be. And he has good reason for it. But even if, if I don't know the reasons, it should be enough that God has told his disciples to honor and respect authority. Our voice should sound different than those around us. Even in our conversations, I, it's easy. I, I get caught up in joking about things, right? And, and I don't, it's not necessarily bad to joke, but, but are we concerned? Just like Paul, as his tone completely changed from just, I mean, he's got some good smack going on there, talking about these whitewashed walls, right? 
His tone changed. Why? Because within him was a deep respect for God that then translated to respect for any authority. He said, God said, any authority, the, the ruler in your land, you need to not speak evil against. And so his tone changed. Does that guide us in our response to things? I think one of the things that, that we all struggle with is that it feels like in this, these online, in different forums that are not normal, as if somehow we're disconnected from it, as if we are anonymous from it, that somehow we're not responsible with it. It is just as much a message that either carries respect and honor or doesn't in that medium as any other. First Peter chapter 2. Peter also talks about this. He says, be subject. Why? He gives us a why. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Is he only writing that in countries that fear God? Actually, he's writing this in a very godless situation. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme, was the emperor deserving of praise or honor? We're going to talk about that in a second. He was not. Uh, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Verse 15. This is the will of God that by doing good, here we got some reasons why you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In that time, Christians were being accused of so many different things. And their conduct spoke uh, a strong word contrary to that. Now, the next verse. Live as people who are free. You realize when we participate in what the world's response is to the evidence around us. Uh, in Rome, that at this time, they hated the emperor. And, and if... And if the, the church responded with that. We're just acting according to the world. We're not acting as those who are free. We are free in Christ. We have incredible freedom. We, we are not of this world anymore. We're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of an eternal kingdom that can't be shaken. We need to live that way. We're citizens of a greater kingdom. We shouldn't use that freedom, he says, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. That's us. We should stand out. Our conduct, our, our, our speech, everything that we do should just completely stand out because we're servants of God and people shouldn't understand it. Why are you showing honor? Why are you showing respect? That's lost today. It, it actually lost than it, more than it has been in past generations. Verse 17. Here we go. What does it look like to, to live as a servant of God? We're not, not, not just the authorities now. Honor everyone. That's got to change how the church speaks. Honor and respecting everyone. Love the brotherhood. Agape love. We, as servants of God, sacrificing ourselves for each other. Fearing God, right? 
the, the perfect behind the corrupt. I, I'm looking at the corrupt, but then I look up and I see the perfect. I say, no, I, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to respect and honor this position, even though this is a whitewashed wall, even though well, this is an, uh, a, a whitewashed gravestone, whatever, whatever you want to call this, this thing in front of me that is occupying this place. There's a perfect God, sovereign God, who has told me, his servant, do and say whatever they tell you to do. Follow what they're telling you. Conform your life of one of uh, submissive obedience to, to a corrupt ruler. What, am I, what do I have to do in order? I have to trust the God that's behind that authority, just as the disciples did. That was so important for them as they moved forward, that they would, they would walk through this life with no reason for condemnation, no reason for people to point a finger at them. You know who they're following when they do that? Jesus. Jesus walked through a corrupt world and there was no one could truly point a finger at him because he was blameless, giving honor and respect where it's due. Honor the emperor. That's the last part. Actually, look one more time that verse. Fear God, honor the emperor. You know who the emperor was when 1 Peter was written? Nero. So this is the late, this is early 60s, probably 64, not 1964. This is 64, right? Um, They weren't making nice cars. It was 64, 63, 64-ish. Well into the reign of Emperor Nero. Rome hated Nero. Nero was a tyrant. If if you've been upset with, with recent political leadership, and, and things going on within our country, it's nothing compared to what was going on under that tyrant. Um, ultimately, uh, he was declared an enemy of Rome and he committed suicide at the age of 30. But here we're well into his reign. And, and he had this thing for building. He wanted to build, build, build. So he ended up setting fire to Rome destroying those things that they held dear, right? You can look it up. Google, fires of Rome. It's a major event in history. He set fire to Rome, and then he realized, oh, that was a bad idea. There's a lot of wrath being pointed in my direction. I need to redirect that. And so he blamed it on the Christians. And a great time of persecution came about. I think very likely 1 Peter was written as, as God guiding Peter to respond in that time when they had fiery persecution coming on them. There's strong church tradition that shortly after this time, this would be near the end of Peter's life because not long after this, he would be crucified. After watching his wife be crucified. That's the kind of persecution. What is he saying? What is God leading him to say? Subject yourselves. Submit. Obey. Honor. Respect. The emperor. Not because he deserves it in the least. 
So Jesus tells his disciples, preparing them for what's ahead. These scribes and Pharisees that are about to be your number one enemy, do and observe whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. Not in the least. All right, then there's the second major point in this, but before we get this, there's an in-between point I want to hit as this starts to come home in what Jesus is teaching. So far it's been about the, the, the issues of those that, that are authorities over us and understanding that there's a God behind their position and we need to honor that position and respect it uh, in our actions, in our words. But as we look at this warning, don't follow what they're doing. And it's going to be different among you. Here's the second point. Beware of pride. It's a nasty thing. If you think you're exempt from it, uh, you're prideful in that. <laughs> I'm not exempt from it. It destroys us. This is, this is what the Pharisees struggled with, pride. Right? It was all about show. It's all about what others saw. Get back to my main passage here. Verse 5, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Oh, be careful, church. Why do we follow the Lord? Why do we do, why do we participate? Why do we serve? Why, why am I here preaching? Why? 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 It's too easy to, for this other ingredient to get mixed into whatever the good and, 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 and God-glorifying, God-generated purpose that God has put there in your life for what you're doing, to mix in that a purpose to be seen by others. It's not phylacteries and, and tassels that you're worried about, but it's, it's those things that you say, hey, I wouldn't mind if, if people noticed this about me. Right. Maybe think of me as somebody who's got it together, pretty holy. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you're not supposed to have it that way among you, he says, right? But, but you disciples are not to be called Rabbi, they are about to lead a revolution, a spiritual revolution. And, and people are going to look to them and say, how did you do it? Miracles that God's going to empower them to do. So very easy for them to say, well, Jesus was a rabbi. Now I'm rabbi. You call me rabbi and let, let that pride get stoked up. Not to call, be called rabbi. You have one teacher. You're all brothers. Call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. He turns it upside down from what we normally would expect. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself 
will be exalted. And Jesus gave us the example of the one who humbles himself to a greater extent than any of us can follow. And he has been exalted higher than all. There is a terrible temptation for all of us to love your pastor, to be loved to the point that somehow I'm seen as something more than just one of your brothers. I'm one of your brothers. We have one Lord, one teacher, one shepherd. One true pastor. He's the one caring for you. If there's anything of value that your life is being changed uh, through, through what I teach, it's not because of David. It's because of, of this broken vessel that, that has become a, a mouthpiece for his word, for, for his teaching, for what he is doing. He's the teacher. Recognize him and, and beware of pride. Uh, titles. It was so weird going from being an engineer for life to start being called pastor. Now, now using titles is not, it literally, is not what Jesus is saying. It, it, we know that titles is, is not off the table because they're used. Paul uses titles. He even calls himself father um, of those in Corinth. But does the title come with anything? That this, is, this is talking about what's going on with these Pharisees. Would you lift a man up? And if, and if calling me pastor between us uh, turns into something of me being something other than just your brother in Christ, then let's not use it. It's okay. I'll use the term pastor because sometimes they don't know who is this David. Oh, it's Pastor David from Hope Church. Okay. It, it clarifies. That's great. But if it's anything more than that, or if it's a problem that, that, would, that, that would cause pride or to stoke the fires of, of something that's not right, Jesus says, no, you're not supposed to, don't, don't, you're not going to be rabbis, you're not going to be the teacher, you're not going to, no, Jesus is that. I love it. I was talking to Alex yesterday. He accidentally called me dude. Oh, I mean, pastor, it is okay to call me dude, right? It's okay to respect your pastor as to the Lord. When you guys did something special for us on, 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 in October, it's pleasing to the Lord. Well, I know that because, because it accords with what God has put in his word. But let's not let that make something of John and I. There's anything other than we are just still a couple of servants, a couple of brothers in Christ, right? We're, we're doing this to honor the teacher, the Lord. And so as we are careful of pride, do you think anyone's exempt from pride? You know, Paul was not exempt from pride. Uh, if anybody, um, I'd, he talks about it in, in 2 Corinthians. 
chapter 12. And he talks about himself in the third person, but you can tell from the context he's talking about himself. He said, there was this man. He went to heaven. I don't know if it was in person or it was a vision. Um, and he, he saw and was told things that man is not permitted to speak. I mean, the, can you imagine that? I want to go to heaven and, and see the things that... The, I think God was preparing him for, for an, uh, an incredible ministry with an incredible amount of suffering by those experiences. But what was the risk? What is the real risk in our lives as God uses his servants to do something far beyond their capacity, far beyond what they're able to do? That's what he will do in you. That's what he wants to do in you. But it was, what's the risk? What's the What's the temptation that can be your downfall that can actually separate you from the, from the glorious blessing that is in following Jesus Christ? It's pride. It's to somehow take ownership of any of that, to say, that was me. And, and, and what Paul says is, well, God sent this demon. He, he, sent, he sent a thorn in the flesh. And he doesn't explain what that is. And I think it's on purpose because we all can have thorns in the flesh that God will send us. And he and he prayed that God, three times that God would take it away. I mean, Paul could heal people, certainly, right? God would answer that prayer. But he recognized why God had given him that. As in his grace, he had given him this thorn in the flesh. He said, so that I wouldn't be conceited for the greatness of the, uh, the, the vision, the experiences that I had had. The, the risk was so great God gave me this gift of a thorn in my side to suppress the flesh. He needed it. We need it. It's God's grace that does those things that bring about humility in our life. You're not to be called rabbi. Verse 8 You have one teacher. You are all brothers, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. You know, just like with looking at authorities and seeing that there is a perfect God appointing those authorities. He is behind them. When we look at each other and we see the amazing things that are coming out of their life, the things that are changing us, the things that are affecting us in a good way, we need to not just see the person. But here's the last point. Don't miss the perfect dwelling in broken vessels. I'm a broken vessel. Praise God for every bit of, of my flesh that's just been broken, that, that's just been... The, because that, that, so that I can be made new in Christ, so that it wouldn't be me, but it would be Christ. That I can say with, with Paul, one of my favorite verses, I have been crucified with Christ. Who David is, the name of David, has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Right? That, that's, that's the glory of what's going to happen in the church. That's what these disciples need to know is among you. It's all going to be Christ. Everything Christ. He's the teacher. He's the Lord. He's the instructor. And, and that's the glory that we live in and we need to not miss and, and, and let silly pride come within us or, or even to follow after one person or another. That's, Paul was getting after the, those in Corinth after this. One's going, I'm, I'm of Paul. I'm of, I'm of Apollos. And it, no, stop it. 
Did they die for you? No. Are they your teacher? No. Right? If, if you've got to be in one church or another, you realize it's, it's not that church that makes the difference. It's the Lord who makes the difference. It is our prayer that God would multiply churches in this community. It's not about being part Hope Church. It's about being connected to the Lord Jesus. This community needs the Lord Jesus. This community needs Him as their teacher, needs Him as their instructor. And if that happens, then, then we rejoice, whether it was me or not, because we're just the vessel. Do, do we see that within each other? Do we see that within ourselves, that what is perfect and worthwhile and good is not us? We're the broken vessel for the light of glory that's in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 22 this is what the Father did. This is what's about to happen there with the disciples. He put all things under his Son's feet, under Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things. Jesus having all power. Jesus at the end of Matthew is going to say, all authority has been given to me. And so, right? And, and so they have this picture of the Father setting, just giving Jesus authority over all things and then giving him with authority over all things to the church. And, and it gets better because it says, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. <laughs> we don't deserve this church. The fullness of him who fills all. Who, who's in you? The perfect is in you. Jesus is in you. He fills all in all. We're ministering to each other. We're all part of this. You think it's only a pastor that gets called? No, every part of the body. We are a body and every person has the fullness of Christ in them. So, so the, Jesus is the teacher. When you're encouraging somebody and it, and it creates encouragement far beyond you, it's because Jesus is encouraging through you. Don't, don't over-spiritualize and don't underestimate What's real within you? Jesus is working in you. Expect it to be greater than you. Give glory to Him when you're following Him in that. His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Every single person in the body who's put their faith in Jesus Christ has been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be ministers of His grace. That is the perfect. That's what the last passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's a variety of gifts. That, that is the empowerment of God. That's a purpose of God, chosen by God in your life. You know, there is no one exempt from this. He has chosen you. He has a way he wants to use you. We're given a whole bunch of lists of different gifts. I think God even combines and, and, and he's specific. He has a plan for you and what he wants to use you for, and he's going to empower you to do that by his Holy Spirit. So there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. It's not David and John, right? Alex, Al. Right? It, no, it's, it's the Spirit of God working in each person. The variety of gifts, the same Spirit, and the variety of service. We do different things. Kirby, when you were helping do, do the coffee, you realize that's, a, that's a, a service. 
But, but who is really serving the church through you, Kirby? The Lord in you. It, it becomes greater. It, it's, it's greater than, than, than just making coffee. It becomes this task that blesses the body, that wakes them up also. <laughs> so it's so a variety of service, but the same Lord, right? And verse 6. And there's a variety of activities. We're doing a lot of different things. Hanging out at the land, uh, getting together in our small groups, doing all sorts of things. But it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The fullness of Him in all. Oh my goodness. We can't miss this. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. For the common good. God has a purpose in your life. If we see that, we're not going to fall into the trap that the Pharisees were falling. We're just going to glorify God when we see things happen, when we see uh, just uh, encouragement and, and, and help, just practical help happening within the church. We're going to say, oh, look how God is empowering his body to serve one another. And we're as long as we're seeing what's really happening, we're not going to be tempted to build up pride, to build up the person, to divide between people. We're just going to glorify our Lord Jesus, who is all in all. God hasn't called us here for personal gain. We're not here to accomplish some human agenda. We are the here people who have been set free in Christ, right? We're servants of the living God. We stand out in a corrupt world just as Jesus did, honoring and respecting our God in everything. Ultimately, why? So that when people see us, and they see that we're different, they'll know see our Father. And in that moment, that God opens their eyes to the glory of who He is, and they turn to Jesus in faith. The time of their visitation, it's mentioned in First Peter there. They will glorify God, because they saw, hey, in this person... It was different, and God used that to lead me to Him. That's living out your faith. Let's be His body. Lord Jesus, I thank You for the glory of Your instruction. Even as You instructed Your disciples there, preparing them for what was about to happen, preparing them for persecution, preparing them for how they should act, even as they would lead a spiritual revolution. God, you're instructing us as well in your wisdom on how to navigate through a corrupt world. Lord, none of us has done this right. I just pray, God, that you'd help us. Help us to know how we should act, how we should navigate, what those things that are important to do that, that will honor you, bring glory to your name, that will not set us up, but 
will ultimately lead to people seeing you, glorifying you. Lord, I pray that you help us to walk in a way that, that is without um, any kind of common, con- reason for condemnation, that the people around us won't be able to point at us and say, here's, look at how, how you are, are disobeying the authorities. Look at how you have faults. But God, make us holy so that that can't happen. And, and, and the only things that they'll be able to find fault in us is that we follow you, Lord Jesus that we confess you as Lord, that we stand on your word, that we do the things that you say. And if they, if they fault us for that, then hallelujah, God. Glory to your name. Lord, we need your help to walk that way. I need your help to walk that way. Make us holy and pure in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. This life is overwhelming And I feel like giving up I will cling to all you promised It will always be When this world around me crumbles It's hard to understand I will run to you, my shelter. I am safe within your hands. For you are my help forever. And I will not fear. God, you are with me. And I know that you're near. And you'll never leave me. I will trust
in you alone, Lord Jesus. Make that true in my life, Lord. So many things I'm tempted to trust. You are the one who's trustworthy. Your ways, they are not the world's ways. God, help me to trust you fully and to walk in them. We love you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I love you, church. Go in the Lord.